Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sunday Table Podcast. My name is Nadiel. And my name is Eli. Yes, we're both here. Uh, we're back again. We haven't posted an episode, I think, in like two weeks, which is actually what we planned for. We right. plan on only releasing two episodes a week mm-hmm. or two episodes a month. But then, but like whenever we started, we started pumping out episodes every week. We just wanted to make sure that we, we had content. Grip, we got some grip. Yeah. That you knew that our portfolio, like we had episodes lined up. It yeah. wasn't that. We just started this at a random. Exactly. And I'm happy that we did that. Yeah, for sure. Now we got a good portfolio of Mm -hmm. episodes. Uh, But enough talking about us. (laughs) Let's get get into the... But yeah, uh, we're planning in the future of just doing like two episodes a week. A month. I'm sorry. Two episodes a month. Um, I think that's what we're going to do in the month of April. Mm -hmm. We're very excited. Uh, This is a teaching episode today. um, And we are the Sunday Table Podcast. If it's your first time here uh, at our podcast, we dissect key topics in the Bible. And we talk about life as a young Christian. Uh, we're both young Christians, so we're, we're, we're aiming for the young Christian demographic. And our, our, our slogan or our goal with the podcast is simply to just shape culture one talk at a time. Sometimes uh, we do teachings like this one. Other times we do conversations, him and I. Uh, we do story times. If you haven't seen any of our story times, oh my gosh, you have to see them. Uh, you'll love them. Specifically the last one. Specifically the last you one. you got to watch the Book of Michael. Yes, the Book of Michael. Um, you'll, you'll, yeah, that one is awesome. Um, uh, but for this one, we're doing a teaching episode. Uh, our next episode, I'll just give you guys a little bit of a tease. We're doing an interview with a great, great, great friend of mine. His name is uh, Gino. And Gino is uh, uh, an awesome person. He recently became a Christian. Um, and I just wanted him to share his testimony of how he came to Christ. It was a radical conversion. And he's going to be sharing a little bit about it. So for any of you guys who are new to the Christian faith, I feel like that will bless you greatly. But for this episode in specific, we are teaching. Uh, this is not a preaching. This is a teaching. I'll be the one teaching. Eli's here to just support. And to, if he has any questions or if he just wants to add on to something, he's always welcome to do yeah. so. Uh, our aim with every single teaching episode and with our podcast as a whole is that we want this to be for those who are experts in the scriptures and for those who aren't. We want it to be for both parties. It's a difficult thing to try and appease both audiences, but I feel like we've been doing a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't like what we're doing, please hit us up. Uh, not saying that we'll change, but we'll consider what you say. Right. Uh, uh, another thing that we want to do is that we want this to be a podcast that's potent enough for those who know the Bible to glean from, yet we want to make it clear and accessible enough for those who've never even opened it. Uh, it's an outpouring of the love that we have for the Lord. That's why this whole entire thing started. So let's jump into uh, our episode for today. Um, this is the month of April, and in honor of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to do an episode dedicated to the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, other, it's also known as the Passion of Christ. Mm-hmm. If you've seen the Mel Gibson movie, then you know what I'm talking about. But the whole, uh, uh, you know, Jesus dying for our sin, that whole process, and then the resurrection, it's all called the Passion, the Passion of Christ. Um, so that's what I wanted to talk about. There is no uh, 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 Passion of Christ. There is no, 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 no glory unless we also talk about the resurrection, uh, because that's also the biggest part about it. But for this episode in specific, I wanted to speak on his crucifixion and his death. Maybe soon, Eli and I could do an episode dedicated strictly to the resurrection, evidence for it, what the Bible has to say about it. Both Eli and I, Eli and I believe in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. We both believe that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. There mm-hmm. are some people who believe that he came back as, like, as, a, as a ghost right. or as a spirit or something like that. We don't believe that. Jesus ate with people. He cooked for people. Like He, he was physically there. Um, so maybe soon we'll do that. Uh, but there is no resurrection. There is no celebration. There isn't even any forgiveness of sin unless Christ is first crucified 
And that's what we wanted to talk about today. Um, oftentimes, we overlook the crucifixion because we hear about it all the time, literally. And, and it's good that we hear about it all the time, but a lot of the times we can mistakenly just get really numb to it. Mm-hmm. Like how often in, in your life do you hear the phrase, Jesus died for you? Like you hear that thing all the time. Street the preachers time. blaze it. Street preachers blaze it. Like Jesus died for your sins, repent of your sin, or you're going to go to hell. All that type of stuff. You know, uh, We grew up hearing this, and if we're not careful, we can treat something that is holy and a beautiful act of God as something that is basic and casual. Right, that's good. But there is literally nothing basic or casual, about God himself becoming flesh and dying in our place, taking our sin with him. Uh, And here's a little bit of a plug to another episode that we did that if you want to learn a little bit more about God becoming flesh, we have an episode called Jesus is God Explained Part 2. Check that out, um, and it'll give you all the information. But for this episode, based on the crucifixion, um, every single one of our teaching episodes, we like to have a focus. This is the focus of this episode. I'll repeat it. It says, I'll repeat it twice. The crucifixion of Christ is the greatest demonstration of love and grace ever known and that will ever be known toward creation, all of creation. I'll say it again. The focus of this episode is the crucifixion of Christ is the greatest demonstration of love and grace ever known and that will ever be known toward creation. That's what I wanted to be breaking. That's what I wanted to break down today. Um, if I'm like talking really fast, it's because I'm heavily caffeinated right now. I drank a lot mm. of coffee. My man is geeked. Dude, I'm just, I'm shaking in my seat right now. Uh, but I'm also very excited to deliver this. Uh, maybe I'll slow down a little bit. But let's talk about that a little bit. The crucifixion, the passion of Christ. Um, fun fact, the passion of Christ, it is not first introduced in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, the first mention of it is actually in Genesis chapter 3 at the very, very beginning of scripture. And the person who introduces it, it's not a man, it's not a person. It is literally God himself who introduces his grand plan of saving his creation in Genesis chapter three. This is called, uh, I think this is a Greek word, it's called the proto-evangelium, proto-evangelium. That's what it's called uh, universally by Bible scholars. And the definition of it is literally the first mention of the gospel. It's Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is called the Proto-Evangelium. Now, let me just break something down a little bit. I want you to understand something. God did not come up with the gospel plan in a state of panic. His plan to die for his creation was established before the creation of the world. Right. That's what the Bible teaches. Like, God didn't just like, oh, you sinned? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Like, I, I, I devised this plan. Like, no, that's, that wasn't what God did. God knew what he was going to do before the creation of the world. Here's some biblical evidence for that. Revelations chapter 13, uh, verse 8, the second half of verse 8 in particular. I'm reading the KJV version. It says this about Jesus. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, the gospel plan was made known, or it has always been there in eternity before the world was even made. Mm -hmm. Now, let me address a few questions that you may have. You're probably asking yourself, how did God do this? How did Christ die before the foundation of the world? I thought he died 2,000 years ago. And did God know man would fall? These are all very, very big questions. Valid questions, yeah. yeah. And so here's what I'll say, two things. One, I'm not God. I don't have all the answers. And two, I know that God, because of what he says of himself, he is timeless, he is all-powerful, and he is all-knowing. In other words, he is omniscient, 
He is omnipotent and he is omnipresent. I think I'm saying it right. And we, as humans, we aren't. We aren't that. So I'll try and give an explanation to these three questions of how did God do this? How did Christ die before the foundation of the world? And did God know man would fall right now? Um, and I feel like the best way to give an explanation is whenever we consider God's omniscience and his omnipotence and him granting us free will. Now, omniscience means that God is all-knowing, and omnipotence means that he is all-powerful. And then we also have the element of free will here as well. This actually is awesome that we're doing this because this past, I think it was Tuesday, we had like lunch with our pastor, uh, and he we talked about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I remember I asked him questions about it, and whenever he answered i was like okay good now i know that what i'm saying what i'm about to say right now is like solid like Mm -hmm. it's okay so 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 let me break that down a little bit that concept of free will and god's sovereignty here's what many scholars believe now this may be a little bit of a hot take for you if, if if you've never heard of it many scholars believe and maybe i personally believe this as well uh i didn't want to disclose that but i will god is not always the one who causes things to happen but This does not mean that he doesn't know things will happen. Odd thing. Odd thing. For example, God did not make me or you drink coffee this morning. Like you decided to drink coffee this morning. Now, there are some people who say that, oh, it wasn't God's will for you to drink coffee this morning. It wasn't God's will for you in a minute to check your phone right now. Like, like. There are some people who say that. I don't know if that's actually the case. I don't know. I, I feel like that's called hyper-Calvinism. I'm not sure. I may be completely wrong in that. that I, I, I am intentionally, in this season of my life, trying to stray away from the Calvinism entire debate because I just feel as if I, 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 I just can't give my mental power to it just yet because I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to give an opinion. But, but, but this concept right here, it, 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 it's broken down like this. Nothing happens outside of God's knowledge. Or, some say, permission. Nothing happens outside of God's knowledge. God knows everything that will happen and that has happened. I'll repeat the first thing I said again. God is not always the one who causes things to happen, but this doesn't mean that he doesn't know things will happen. There's a theologian who can explain it a lot better than I can. His name is Millard J. Erickson. He says this, Note that God's role is to decide that certain things will take place in our lives, not to lay down commands to act in a certain way. The plan of God does not force us to act in a particular way, but it renders it certain that we will freely act in those ways. Thus, while the plan of God relates primarily to what God does, human actions are also included. Mm-hmm. I want you to know, and Eli can also testify to this, this concept of how does God do all this? Like, like it, it, I, don't, I, I intentionally think God meant for it so that we wouldn't fully grasp it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a difficult thing to try and explain how God operates and how he thinks. In fact, I love this about God. He literally gives us a forewarning in the book of Isaiah where he literally says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. In other words, I am going to do things that you're not going to understand and things are going to happen just trust in me. Like, you're not going to know everything. But God, I believe this about scripture, and I believe this about just life in general. God tells us everything that we need to know. It doesn't mean that he tells us everything that we want to know. Mm-hmm. He tells us what we need to know. We know everything that we need to know through the scripture. 
but questions like how does God operate? How, how how did how did God do this? How did God do that? Did God allow for for example Hitler to rise up into power and to do all those nasty things? I feel as if those are things that we will never personally know because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In other in other words, he's greater than us. There is no if God were not greater than us. If I were able to comprehend God in my five pound brain, would he really be God? Right. I am so happy that. Like that's, he's God and I'm that's not. That's the cap of human knowledge. Yes, we're finite. God. We're, we're finite God. human beings. We yes. just can't put God in our brains. Thank God for that. It. If I could fully explain God, which is what a lot of religions do, a lot of religions think that they have the whole grasp on God. Like that's dangerous. I don't want to serve your God if you know everything about Him. I love the fact that our God is smarter than us. He does things that we may not understand, but He lets us know. Oh, I love this. He lets us know that He does everything for good. Mm-hmm. So even though we don't know why things happen, we ultimately know that it's for good mm-hmm. because God is good. So we are free-willed beings. So in other words, God knew Adam and Eve would fall out of their own personal choice. God did not cause them to sin. They sinned out of their own free will. If you remember in the Genesis story, in, in the creation story, God, what did God tell Adam and Eve? He said, take dominion of this earth. You are made in my image lead this earth. God has given us as humans authority on earth to be like God here on earth. So that means that we need to have free will. We need to have the ability to choose and to, and to, and to move and operate through wisdom. And ultimately, Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity as a whole, we failed. I think that's the greatest expression of love. Yeah. Is the fact yes, that we get that's to literally choose. it. That's literally it. And then I, 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 here's an unknown quote. I don't know who said it, but I learned it. It says, God has given us the ability to choose, but he's never given us the right to choose evil. In other words, God is not forcing you to do this bad thing, do this bad thing right now. We have the choice. I know that there, there is this uh, apologist. His name is Frank Turek. I love him so much. I don't know if you've heard of him, Frank of course Turek. I do. He, he shares that, um, I don't even know if he originated with this, but he says it a lot. He says that if we were forced to love God, then it wouldn't be love. Like, I cannot force somebody to choose me. I cannot force somebody to love me. Like, that's not love. That is, in a way, it's like slavery. It's like, it's like you have to do this right now for me. But the fact that God gives us the ability to choose shows us that he wants us to love him. He didn't make us f- robots. We are free-willed beings. And so think about that. Think about the fact that God has given you and I the responsibility to choose and to, and to make decisions on our own. That's just crazy. I believe that with my whole heart. Yeah. But I do know the other side of the coin. Oh like my what gosh. People say, there's like 75 different sides of the coin. There's people who claim, well, it doesn't matter if he's made of robots because he's God. Yeah. And he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And if he's all good, then it's all good that he made us robots that are yeah. forced to love him and are forced to do That's whatever because ultimately, argument. whether it's evil or it's good, it's going to bring him glory. Yeah. Does that make sense? He's turning everything for, for, mm-hmm. for his own good. And so. Why does it matter that exactly? He, I, I, I'm, I'm a free will type of dude. I believe <laughs> that uh, the 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 plan to offer free will opens doors for us to experience God's love mm-hmm. in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and where comes free will comes the need for salvation because yes. enters sin. And that that's the good news. That's a and good. That leads to that leads the crucifixion. To yes, because the good news, uh, the gospel, the gospel. What it means? It's it's good news. It's a proclamation of good news. Mm-hmm. The good news is that God had already planned our redemption. He knew we would fall, but He loved us so much that He already planned 
I'm going to save them. This is literally a demonstration of God's immense, beautiful, and great care for us. Anything you want to say, Eli, before we take a quick break? No. Oh, okay. We're good. <laughs> nah. All right, guys, we'll see you in a second. All right, let's get back into it, back to the topic at hand. So we were talking about the Proto-Evangelium, which is Genesis 3.15, and let's break that down. Um, it's in the creation story, and I'm going to read from the NKJV version. Here's what that verse says. This verse that we're going to read is the first mention of the gospel ever. And it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Now, that word seed, her seed is actually capitalized. The S is capitalized. And then the seed now becomes a person because it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's break that down a little bit. What is happening here? God is speaking to Satan, uh, the serpent in this case, and he's pronouncing this curse over him. And the curse is that there will be enmity, which means that there's going to be hostility between the two. Who are the two? Satan and Eve. There's going, to be, there's going to be war between them and between their offspring, Satan's seed and Eve's seed. Satan's seed, what is that? Some believe that it is the unredeemed sinful humanity. They believe that it is uh, Satan's kingdom of darkness. That's what Satan's seed is. Eve's seed, now the S is capitalized here. Satan's seed is not capitalized, but Eve's seed, it's capitalized because it's a person. That seed is Jesus. It's the God-man, and it is his establishment of his kingdom here on earth. I, if, if you remember uh, the blessing of Abraham, I think it's in Genesis, the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, where God is making that covenant with Abraham, uh, he's talking about how like the world will be blessed through your seed. Not seeds as in many, your seed, and that seed is Jesus, mm -hmm. the God-man. So Jesus, the seed of Eve, would run counter to Satan's kingdom. And God talks about that here in Genesis 3.15. The moment humanity falls, Jesus is already mentioned. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a very, very important question. Was the man Jesus born into sin like the rest of us? No, he was not. How? Because his father was not Abraham. The Adam. one, and Abraham, or not, not Abraham, Adam, I'm so <laughs> sorry. His father was not Adam. And who is Adam? He's the one in whose sin found its origin. Read Romans 5 if you want more information on that. He was not born of a man. He was conceived through Mary and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he wasn't born because two people came together. He was, so he's not of Adam. He was born of a virgin. Born of a virgin and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was not born into sin like the rest of us. He didn't come into this world like with sin in him already. Right. Praise God for that. Now notice again that the verse says he. It's a he. It's referring to the mission of Jesus. And what's his mission? It's to bruise the head of Satan. Now, what does that mean, to bruise the head? It means to defeat Satan, to defeat his kingdom, to defeat death, and to defeat sin. But Satan is going to do something, and he's going to bruise the heel of Jesus. He's going to wound Jesus. Now, it's not because Jesus just lost the fight. Jesus allowed himself to be wounded for the penalty of sin. Mm-hmm. 
And I love this about the Bible. Like, oh, how would Jesus be wounded? You don't have to look in the Gospels for that, though the Gospels explain it thoroughly. You can look at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, it's, uh, it's a prophecy about the suffering of Christ um, that Isaiah prophesies. To prophesy in this sense means to tell about future events. And he prophesies this 700 years before it actually happens. He talks about what is going to happen to the Messiah. And he says this in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. He says, surely he, Jesus, took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So this is how the, the, the heel of Jesus was bruised. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great theologian, preacher, man of God, he says this about the Proto-Evangelium. He says, this is the first gospel sermon that was ever delivered upon the surface of this earth. It was a memorable discourse indeed with Jehovah himself for the preacher and the whole human race and the prince of darkness for the audience. God is the first preacher ever in the history of preachers. Isn't that just insane? God is the one who initiates the good news. He's the one who talks about it. And though we turned our back against God, he never turned his back against us. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 3. The moment that humanity fell, he announced his plan of redemption. And what is this plan of redemption? The plan of redemption had to do with a person, a seed, which is God himself as a redeemer in the greatest act of love and grace undeserved, God gave himself for us. Mm -hmm. And to think about it, that the God who literally hung the stars and who paints the sky every morning is the same God who hung on a cross painted it with his blood that's how much he loves for us that's how much he loves us and so if you're listening to me i was planning for this episode on reading through the gospel of john uh the passion you know the, the genesis or john 18 to 21 and just breaking it down and whatnot but i feel as if i just want to encourage you knowing what you know now jump into the bible for yourself and read about the passion of christ Read John 18 through 21 and read about what God did for us. Read it out loud. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to you just how much he loves you. And now I wanted to switch the, the tempo a little bit, and we're going to be ending in a second. The Bible, so read the Bible. Yes, read John 18 to 21. The Bible is our greatest source of evidence on the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. But the death of Christ is not only found in the Bible. In fact, it's widely regarded by historians and scholars uh, as a fact that Christ died. There are very, 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 uh, there's a very small amount of documents that deny the crucifixion. The Quran is one of them, of the Muslim faith. They believe that Jesus was not crucified. He was made to appear as if he was crucified. Now, here is why I have a lot of issues with that. It's, one, it's a historical fallacy because it's not as if the Bible is the only thing that mentions the crucifixion. I'm about to mention a few other sources that date back to the first and second century on the crucifixion. And they just, they, they, the, the prophet Muhammad said this 600 years after the events of Jesus here on earth. So for 600 years, people were led astray by God. Like, is that what they're trying to say? Because the Quran says that Jesus was made to appear. Like, he didn't actually die for sin. So, 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 so there are some historical... The reason why I'm saying that is because I've been having a long conversation with a, a Muslim friend of mine. And we've been debating and talking about theology a lot. Um, but I just wanted to mention that because, like, our faith, it's founded in Scripture. But it also has historical significance. Like, the Bible is not just 
the word of God. It is 100% the word of God, I believe, but it is also a reliable historical document. Mm -hmm. We can learn from it about what happened back then. We know about the crucifixion. It is the largest source of, of the crucifixion. But I wanted to share two uh, resources that date back to the first and second century that document uh, this event. And the first one that I wanted to talk about, he's very, very well known. He's a Jewish historian. His name is Josephus. Uh, he was not a Christian. And if I remember correctly, he was born four years after uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, so he was alive during the time of the disciples. He was alive, like, like he, was, he was there. He was not a Christian, mind you. Uh, but he, he saw these events unfold. And in fact, he actually wrote on Jewish history in, I think it was a book or like a document called Jewish Antiquities. And Josephus provides the longest secular reference to Jesus in any first century source. This is the longest uh, non-biblical reference to the crucifixion that we have. And he says uh, in his book, Jewish Antiquities, he says this during the time of Jesus. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus and his conduct was good. He was known to be virtuous, and many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. So we already see the, 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 the impact of Jesus was not just known in Scripture. It was known around the world, mm -hmm. even by this Jewish historian. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. So right there, we know that Pilate was a real historical person. He was mm -hmm. not made up. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. In other words, though he died... These they people still them. believed in him. Mm -hmm. They carried the faith going forward. In fact, they even reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Like, are you kidding me? Like, like this is all legit. And accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah. Now, mind you, he's Jewish. They did not like Jesus. Uh, or, or a lot of them did not like Jesus. Mm -hmm. To this day, they did not. They don't consider Jesus to be the Messiah. But even he says perhaps he was the Messiah. Now, this is a man who lived there, like right. during the rise of all this stuff, concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders, and the tribe of the Christians, I love that, the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. I think he wrote this in the year 100, so he was already an old man. I may be wrong, but he, I know he wrote this later on in his life, and at that time, he himself even documents that the Christian faith has been growing and growing. To consider oh my that God. Jesus could have been the Messiah goes against the grain of what? Jews, yeah, believe, yeah. So, I don't know, man. That's that's pretty powerful, know. right there. Yes. And then this next one, I love. This next one, I love because this guy's Roman, so he could care less about Jews. <laughs> right. This guy's just like forget the Jews or or whatnot. And he writes about it. He's also he's a senator, Roman historian, and he's a senator. His name is Tacitus, and he says this. He wrote about Emperor Nero's persecutions of Christians. And now, if you didn't know, Emperor Nero, he was the emperor of Rome, and he is known widely as one of the most evil and wicked men to ever live in history. Um, he was absolutely wicked. He changed genders like four times, apparently. That's just one of the things that he did. He had a relationship with a child, like a marriage relationship. He, 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 just, just the atrocities that he did to the Christian faith back then, it was absolutely terrible. He was the one who killed Peter and Paul. It was under his rule. Um, and some, like, like one thing that he was known for doing is that he would uh, stab Christians through the body with a large pole. He would hang them on the streets, and then he would light them on fire to be torches for his garden so that he can see his garden. Like, this man was completely wicked and vile and just terrible. And Tacitus 
talks about um, his persecution of Christians, and he says this about Jesus, who he calls Christos. That's funny. Uh, he says this, therefore, to stop the rumor, uh, the rumor, I think this has to do with the, 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 the burning of Rome or something like that, around the year AD 60-something, uh, Nero substituted as culprits and punished in the utmost refinements of cruelty a class of men loathed by their vices whom the crowd styled Christians. Christos, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procur procurator Pontius Pilatus. So there's another mention of Pilate. And the pernicious superstition, these words are crazy, was checked for a moment, which means that the Christian faith, it, it looked like it was about to stop because of all this persecution, mm -hmm. but only to break out once more. This time, not only in Judea, the home of the disease. Notice how he calls Christianity a disease. Yeah. The Romans hated these Christians because the Christians believed that you can only worship one God while Rome had so many gods. They were okay with you worshiping Jesus as long as you worship these other gods as well, but that's not what God wanted, intended for us. So it's a disease to these people. So not merely in Judea, the home of the disease, but in the capital itself where all things horrible or shameful in the world collect and find a vogue. I remember I read a quote during school uh, in seminary, and the quote was talking about how this is uh, from another uh, theologian who, who, who dates back to like the first, second, third century around there, and he talks about how the church, it was heavily persecuted, but the blood of the saints was fertile soil for the growth of the church. So even though the church was like persecuted and people were getting killed, the faith was still growing. Mm -hmm. like there was nothing to stop the move of God. And these aren't the only two accounts that we have. There are more dating after the first century, but I just wanted to give you first century accounts of like people who lived during this stuff. Now, what am I trying to get at? And I'll close here. God paid for our sin and he made it well known what he did. Now, crucifixion was the most vicious form of punishment that anyone could endure in this era, especially at the hands of the Romans. These guys were expert executioners. And the father put it all on his son. Now, what does this tell us? It shows us the lengths that God would go to in order to save us, and it shows how seriously God viewed sin, that he would allow his own son to be punished for it in such a horrific way. The price to pay was insurmountable, but Christ took it upon himself for us. That is love. That is the greatest demonstration of love you will ever see. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Eli, Eli, any last words? Man, I'm still... Trying to catch up with everything you just this shared. Is this, good. Is, this is a good episode. I really praise God for that. I really pray that people look into the the homework you've given them to jump into John chapter eighteen, and I would say go as far as to chapter twenty four, where he's risen and the glory is made manifest, and he appears to people. Twenty one. John chapter twenty four. No, there's no chapter twenty four. Twenty one. <laughs> I'm talking about Luke. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Was, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, whoa, whoa. I was like, wait. You I got just, access? I was like, wait. I just preached on this. You got access? Luke. Yeah. Luke. Luke chapter 24. Mm -hmm. um, Luke goes in depth. Yeah, Luke. I mean, John is the beloved. So just, mm -hmm. just tune into 18 to 21. Um, I Read totally all confused them. them. But, um, man, this is good for the soul. Uh, it's truth. Yes. Uh, this is not something we make up uh mm -hmm. we're not savvy enough uh to come up with this stuff but this is real life and if this is real then it has some serious implications to our lives yes. and we should uh go about it uh in that way yeah. so nothing tune in to following episodes i really pray this blesses you and uh 
I'm excited, man. Yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, follow us on social media. We have our Instagram at Sunday Table Podcast, and then our TikTok at Sunday Table, and then share this podcast, man. I really hope it's blessing people. A lot of you guys have already come up to us and like have shared how much this has been blessing you, and we just pray that it continues to do that. Um, yeah, we hope this blesses you, and we'll see you guys soon. Take care. Bye.